Well, another year is ending, and more and more, I understand that life is a vapor. Anybody agree with me on that? Uh, James chapter 4, that's what uh, the Bible says, that your life is a vapor. When the Bible says that, it's referring to how quickly life comes and how quickly it goes in light of eternity. In light of eternity, our life and our time here is short. The reason I chose that video is because it starts that way, and you'll hear me say that a lot today. Time is short. So the follow-up to that is this. Make it count. Let me say it again. Time is short. Make it count. That's what I want to resonate with you today, and what I hope to do is to tell you how. I want to give you what the Bible says, what Jesus gave us, for how we can live on purpose. If life is short, eternity is long, then how do we live meaningful, purposeful lives, even if we're just a vapor? So I want to throw some numbers at you. Where's the kids in the room? I see my children. There's some more children in the room. All right. All right, kiddos. How many of you like math? Raise your hand if you like math. All right. Good. I know my girls like math. I don't know why, but they do. Uh, I want to throw some numbers at you, so get your crayons or pencils. I want you to write this down. Here we go. Every day, each of us are given the exact amount of time, the exact same amount of time. Nobody has more. Nobody has less. We're all given the same amount of time. Every day has how many hours, kids? Who knows? 24 hours. All right. Raise your hand if you know this question. How many minutes are in a day? If there's 24 hours... And every hour has 60 minutes. How many minutes are in a day? Anybody know? Raise your hand. No hands. Do you know, Kate? No? Okay. She just wanted to raise her hand. Anybody else know? All right, I'm going to give you the answer. Are you ready? How many? Close. 1440. 1440 minutes in a day. All right, let's take it a little bit deeper. If we want to make every moment matter, how many seconds are there in a day? All of us are given the exact same amount of time. So if there's 24 hours, 60 minutes in an hour, and 60 seconds in every minute, how many seconds are there in a day? You ready, kiddos? There's a long number. Anybody know? 86,400. Good job. Y'all are so excited. You got it right. Good job. 86,400 seconds in a day. 86,000. Here's here's the point I want to make. Nobody has more than that. Are you listening? No one has more time than that. No one has less than that. We're all given the exact same amount of time resource. I feel like sometimes we make excuses for why I'm, why I'm not such and such or why I'm not this. He's doing that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm doing this. And we make excuses based on our either lack of resources or whatever. But here's the thing. We're all given the same amount of time. No one has more. No one has less. Life is short. Eternity is long. Well, what I want to encourage us to do is to make it count. Time is short. Make it count. Just for the fun of it, I was doing some math to find out how many days old I am today. 
How many days old? I found there's a website where all you have to do is punch in your birthday. So you can Google how many days old am I and it'll put you right on the website. Punch in your birthday. It tells you exactly how many days you've lived, including leap years. It's pretty credible. So today I'm 14,034 days old. 14,034 days God has given me. And the question is, what have I done with it? And that is going to be the question that all of us will answer. I shared this quote with you years ago, or not years ago, but last year. This is the quote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Last year, I think I've told you this story. The Lord started stirring in my heart a real sense of urgency. Like, Justin, this life, this is all you got. And um, I was kind of doing the math. And based on typical lifespan, I'm over halfway done. And so the Lord was just like, what are you going to do with your life? That's actually what led me to come here, believe it or not. I needed to kind of make a change, make a move and come and to, to capitalize on this sense of urgency. And what I want you to know is that um, I, I'm not here as a pastor of this church to simply maintain the status quo. I, I have no desire to lead a church to be a nice church with a good service. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. I have no desire for that. I, I want to be a part of a radical movement of God. What I want to be a part of is to see the kingdom of God advance through His people. I I want to see 2020 to be a year where we we don't settle in and throw it into cruise control. Rather, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to take some risk. We're going to pray big. We're going to take big steps for the Lord. Our our leaders are excited about the days ahead. What, What about you? What about you? What do you want to see God do in 2020? What what are you praying for God to do in this next year? The reason we want to begin this year with a 21 day fast is because we want to start just like we did this past year on our knees. Leaning into our dependency on God. We need God desperately. If God only does this next year what you ask Him to do, what will God do? I want to challenge us. Let's be a people who pray. Let's hear from God and let's take bold steps of obedience. Why? Because time is short. So let's make it count. In September, we celebrated 10 years as a church. And our next 10 years, I'm believing and trusting, God willing, are going to be even better, even greater. So here's the how. It's an old mission. Jesus gave it to his church right at the beginning. We, we don't have to reinvent the wheel of why the church exists. Jesus gave us our mission. We just need to fulfill it. All right. So what I want us to do is to read a, a familiar passage. but We're going to get it in its full context. So would you just stand with me? As we, uh, 
as we read. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. What did Jesus tell us to do? Matthew chapter 28. So Jesus has been crucified, has been buried, and here we pick up the story. Some of the ladies that were following him are going to go to the tomb to take care of his body. And here's where we pick it up. I want to read the whole chapter. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly And tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. It's an interesting greeting. (laughs) Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him and Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, give us clarity this morning. We we know this mission We're going to refresh our memory with what you've called us to do. But I pray, God, you give us great clarity on what it looks like this next year. In Jesus' name, amen. The central idea for this particular text is this. The risen Lord Jesus has all authority. And he commands his followers to make disciples of all people By going to them, by baptizing them, and by teaching them all that He's commanded. So I want to start this morning, I'm just going to walk through quickly through some 
some bullet points. I hope you have one of our teaching outlines. You can fill in these blanks. I'd love for you to take a lot of notes this morning because I, I think there's something about it when you write things down. So as the Lord speaks to you, would you, would you just write those thoughts down? First thing I want us to see from this passage is this. Jesus is risen from the dead. You know that's super simple? That's basic Christianity, right? Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. But we should not and cannot skip it. Because it's based on this truth that He gives all His commands. It's based on this reality that He has all authority. He gives three quick commands. These are repeated. The angel gives these three commands and then Mary and Mary see uh, Jesus. And He gives these same three quick commands. He says this, don't fear, go quickly and tell others. Those are three quick commands. Don't be afraid. I love what the angel said. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. That's the reason you shouldn't be afraid. Because you seek Jesus. And you know what? He's risen. Don't fear. Go quickly and tell others. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But here's what I want us to see. There's a pretty cool contrast here. The contrast is between... Um, the guards who were guarding the tomb and these women who came to, uh, to, to service the body of Christ. The contrast is this. The guards are afraid. When they see the angel, they're afraid. And notice the angel doesn't tell them not to fear. He's fine with their fear. All right, They're afraid. And here's what they do. Ultimately, we see that they take a bribe. They take payment money and... Based on the promise of money and safety and their own uh, security, job security, they're, set, they're told, we want you to spread a lie that he didn't rise from the dead. Instead, his disciples stole his body. We want you to tell everybody that's what happened. That while you were asleep, the disciples stole his body. They, they took money, they were promised safety and security, and they bought that hook, line, and sinker. And that lie spread throughout um, Jerusalem and Israel and Throughout the land that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Instead, they stole his body. We have that. And then in contrast with the disciples of Jesus. Jesus doesn't offer any money. He doesn't try to bribe us to do what he wants. He just rose from the dead. He doesn't offer you any money. He doesn't offer you safety. In fact, he says this is going to be a dangerous mission. Some of you are going to die. And then he says, I want you to go tell the truth about me. Go tell the truth about me. Don't spread a lie. Tell the truth about who I am. Teach them all things that I've commanded you. There's this crazy contrast between the guards who, who chose um, to value now, like money, safety, security. Now, I'm going to value that. That's my priority. Versus Jesus' disciples. Mary and his disciples chose to value eternity. Don't need money. Don't need safety. We've got a risen Lord Jesus. That's a crazy contrast that we see here. And the reality is Jesus is risen from the dead. And based on his resurrection, he says to us, your time is short, so make it count. Number two, Jesus has all authority. Look at what he says in the Great Commission. He says, 
all authority has been given to me. And then he makes it really clear in heaven and on earth. So is there any other authority outside of Jesus? No, that's pretty much it. In heaven, Jesus has all authority. On earth, Jesus is king. We talked about this last week. Jesus is the prince of peace, meaning he's the king, the ruler. Um, If you have your Bibles, I put this text in there, but I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2. We'll put it on the screen, I hope. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I want you to see what the Scripture promises about when the name of Jesus, at His name. Listen to what verse 9 says. Therefore... God has highly exalted him. Remember what Jesus said? All authority has been given to me. Look who did it. God the Father has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and where else? And under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what the promise is. The promise is that Jesus has all authority. At the announcement of his name, knees bow and tongues confess Jesus is Lord. Every knee and every tongue will bow and confess to Jesus as king. He has all authority. Authority. Let me put that in really practical um, terms for us. President Xi in China, Prime Ministers Moti in India and Netanyahu in Israel, President Rouhani in Iran, Chancellor Merkel in Germany, President Putin in Russia and President Trump in the United States and many other world leaders. I want you to imagine them in your mind on their knees before King Jesus. That's the reality of our king. There is no governmental earthly authority above him. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He has all authority. All of these earthly leaders will bow to King Jesus and they will declare him as Lord. The question is not if, it's only when. And that's the same question for us. It's not if you're going to submit to Jesus as king. It's when. Are you going to do it now? Or when it's too late? Are you going to do it voluntarily? Or are you going to do it with no option? There will be a day when the name of Jesus is declared and every knee will bow. By choice or by mandate. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus has all authority. And it's based on that that he gives us our mission. That's what Matthew 28 verse 19. Jesus says, therefore, therefore, I have all authority. Therefore, here's what I'm telling you to do. Number three, Jesus has given us a mission. Jesus has given us a mission. 
Because he has all authority, he gives the orders. And our command, our mission, is to make disciples of all nations. That's our command. Quick summary. What does this church exist to do? Make disciples of all nations. That's our existence. Um, The reason that God didn't snatch you off the face of the planet when you bowed your knee to Him and said, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. I invite you into my life. I, I, I confess my sins. I need you as my Savior. When that moment happened in your life, the reason you didn't just disappear and go to heaven is because God left you here for this mission. It's not so you can make a lot of money and die with a lot of money. Who cares? It's not so you can have a great retirement or leave a bunch of stuff to your kids. Who cares? God left you here for this mission. This is why we exist. It's our purpose in life. Time is short. Make it count. So here's how we intend to fulfill this mission. It's straight from the scripture. Mountain View Church exists for the mission of making disciples among all nations. That word nations is not a geopolitical term. It's uh, the, the Greek word is pantata ethne. It means of all ethnicities, of all peoples. It's the reason I constantly remind you that one of my dreams is to see this room filled with all peoples of different color and languages and ethnicities, all peoples. Why is that one of my dreams? Because it's his mission for us to make disciples of all peoples, of all nations. So here's how we intend to do it. Number one, by going. That's how he begins. He says, therefore, go. The actual Greek word is as you're going. It's like while you're going, make disciples. Mountain View Church is a church on the move. If you didn't know it, you're sitting in a movie theater. <laughs> we're, we're not very well grounded. We lease this building and that's on purpose. In the event the Lord wants to move us, we're out. We're gone. We go somewhere else because we're not a building. We're a people. And we're a church on the move. We go with the gospel. It's the reason Russ got up here and prayed over our mission partners. Because we... We believe in taking the resources God gives us and putting them into the gospel. We go with the gospel and we send gospel people. We exist to go and tell the good news of Jesus. Did you catch that repetition in the beginning of this chapter? The angel came and said, don't be afraid. Go quickly and tell the others. Did you catch that? And then when they ran into Jesus on the way, he said, Greetings. They fell down in front of him and he said, don't be afraid. Go quickly and tell the others. Did you get that? We exist as a church to go quickly and tell others. It's what we exist to do, to go and tell the gospel. I I put these blanks on your handout because I want you to know them. And I think if you write them down, you'll remember and pray for our five, our, our partners And I've got a pretty cool announcement to make today, but we have five partners as of today. Here they are. We partner with Lebanon. I'm giving you the locations rather than the names. We partner, our mission partners are with 
Lebanon. There's a, there's a family that we support there named Chris and Kim Todd in Lebanon. And we went last year and served with them in Tyre, Lebanon. And we plan to go again this year to work alongside uh, their work among Muslims to raise up God's church and His kingdom among all nations. We partner with Haiti. So in Haiti, we, we have a missionary there. His name's Gary Hippolyte, and this is his family uh, on the screen. We support them financially, just as we do all of our partners, but it's not just a financial partnership. We pray for them. They, they pray with us. Gary called me Christmas Day and just said, man, I just want you on my heart. I'm praying for you. And, and he said, I wanted to pray for you over the phone. And if that ever happens, you better have some time on your hands because <laughs> Gary can pray. And I'm um, tell you, man, I love that brother. And he's a he's a blessing to me as much as we are to him. But we support his ministry of the gospel in Haiti. This year we took a team and we saw 70 something people come to faith in Christ in Haiti. We sent Christmas boxes uh, to them this this year. And, and he's. He didn't get to deliver them for Christmas, but he was telling me he thinks it's the Lord's will that in January he's going to get to deliver these boxes to these children that are anxiously waiting and get to preach the gospel to them. He asked for our prayers for that. So this is Haiti. Next, one of our partners is, uh, is Crew. That's Crusade. Um, it's, I'm sorry, it's at UAB. It's Crew at UAB. And what they do uh, is Wes and Monica Skinner. They're, they're working with college students on the UAB campus. And uh, we, we support them monthly, but we, we partner with them in lots of ways. We do the text for cookies at the beginning of the fall semester where they're building relationships. They do uh, mission trips. They, they do little retreats with their college students. But I don't know if you follow them online, but you should. Because I love seeing the pictures of like 30-something college students in their apartment. They're gathered around teaching them the gospel. This is a ministry worth investing in. Another, another ministry partner we have, mission partner, is our Cowan County Jail Ministry. And I love that uh, Richard Green and Ann Bradshaw are here with us. But this is a great ministry. I love going, try to go every week and, uh, and hang out with the inmates in jail and um, get to share the gospel with them. What an incredible ministry opportunity. How many inmates are there right now, Richard? 400 and almost 500, 500 inmates. And here's the thing, a lot of them are only there for four, six, eight weeks and they're rotated out and new guys come in. And so it's like a it's like a rotating mission field. And when you walk in there, they, many of them want to talk. And so I just sit down and they come over and we just talk Jesus. It's incredible, isn't it, Dave? It's incredible. It's a great ministry mission opportunity. And we support Richard and Anne, we support this ministry financially and we pray for them. One of the things we're trying to do is to uh, increase our, our audiovisual stuff. Hopefully we'll be able to broadcast into the jail. That's one of the prayers we have. And then I've got a great announcement for you this morning. We have a fifth partner that our, our um, elders have been praying through and we want to bring on a fifth partner this year. Um, in our area, Fellowship of Christian Athletes is one of the most gospel-centered impactful ministries in this area. Let me just ask you something. If you wanted to walk into a local school and preach the gospel, how could you do it? Could you do it? If you wanted to walk into a local school and stand before students and preach the gospel of Jesus, how could you do it? 
The only way I'm aware of is with FCA. Right now, they're the only ones who are actively uh, opening opportunities. And I work with them. Tucker works with them. Tucker's actually going on staff with them this coming year. But I go in every week and speak to athletes and speak to teams and share the gospel. And this is a ministry that has expanded and grown and it's grown so much that uh, it has outgrown its infrastructure. And so as a church, what we believe is going and sending gospel people. So we've been praying for several months, our elders have, and we've been looking at our finances and we believe we still we have enough resources to put more money into the mission. And so we want to support Fellowship of Christian Athletes this year in 2020 and become one of our now our fifth missions partner. Ryan Limbaugh is the uh, leader of the local, um, he's the director of the Chiha Valley group right here. And he's going to be with us in January. You'll get to hear him preach late in January. And he'll share a little bit about FCA with you. But just so you know, like these are the, these are the mission partners that we give to every month. Like, you know how you tithe your income? Well, we give way more than a tithe of everything that comes in to these mission partners every month. We, that's, that's where the money goes, is to the mission. And many of these, we're their largest supporter. I don't know if you know that, but many of these missionaries, we're their largest supporter. And that we've got to be faithful to this. Let me ask you, this year, 2020, Will you go with the gospel? Will you go to the jail? To a local school? Will you go to Lebanon? Will you go to Haiti? Will you go down to UAB and help those guys uh, reach students for Christ? There's loads of opportunities. Will you go with one of our partners? Will you pray intentionally? This is for you personally now. Will you pray intentionally for one friend in your life to share the gospel with this year? One person, maybe a coworker, neighbor, close friend, but one person that you're going to write down. You're going to, I'm going to pray for them. I want to go with the gospel. So we are going. Second thing, we are baptizing. Baptizing. This is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is baptizing all about? Well, it's, I'm just going to give you some quick summaries right here. It's all about knowing and showing Christ to the world. So the reason you get baptized is because you know Jesus. You come into relationship with Jesus. That's the reason you would get baptized. So baptism is first about knowing Him. Here's the question. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? I'm not, I'm not talking about do you know information about Him. I'm not wondering if you know about Jesus like you know about George Washington. I want to know do you know Him like you know your best friend. In Matthew 7, Jesus shares one of the most scary passages in all the Bible. Jesus said, in that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I say to them, depart from me, for I never what? Knew you. The crazy thing about that word is it's not an information no. It's like a relationship intimacy knowledge. It's like 
And Adam knew his wife Eve and they had a baby. It's that kind of no. And Jesus says, depart from me because I never knew you intimately. I never knew you in relationship. I don't know about you. Of course, Jesus knows all about you. Of course. What he's saying there is, I don't know you. We don't have an intimate relationship. What I want to ask you today is, do you know Christ like that? Do you have a relationship with him? Give your life to Jesus. And once you've done that, the first thing he calls you to do is to show it to the world. To to be baptized is how you take this, this personal relationship and you go public with it. Baptism is a display of the gospel. It's the burial and resurrection of Christ and then you personally. It's like the old man is dead and a new man has come to life. That's the reason we do baptism by immersion is because it's a portrait of the gospel. You're dead and in Christ you're made alive. So it's a display of the gospel. Baptism is a personal act of obedience to Jesus. When I talk through baptism with somebody, I usually say, you know, apart from Jesus telling us to do this, it's kind of a silly thing. When you think about it, you're just going to stand in front of a lot of people and go under some water. It's kind of embarrassing, kind of silly. But here's the point. Jesus commanded it. He said, I want you to do this. Silly or not, no matter what people think of you, I'm telling you to do this. It's an act of obedience to Jesus. And Tucker talked about it just this morning, you know, saying obedience, uh, baptism doesn't save you. That's true. But here's the reality. If you say, you know what, Jesus, um, I don't think I'm going to do that baptism thing. What you're saying is you're not really my Lord. So while baptism doesn't save you, if you're unwilling to be baptized, it's probably an evidence that you're not saved. Does that make sense? Because it's an obedience to Jesus. And if you won't obey him in something as simple and silly as, well, silly is not the right word, but simple as baptism, you're probably not going to obey him when he says go to Lebanon. Jesus is calling people to surrender to him as king, not just think he's a, a cool guy who died for your sins. So it's an act of obedience. Third thing, it's an invitation for accountability. When we're baptized, it's public. Why? Because what you're saying is, I have a relationship with God. Hold me accountable. Help me live it. Lastly, it's a commitment to Christ and to His church. I always tell people that when you get saved, you have a new father, but you have a new family as well. We don't want to make light of this thing. This this corporate fellowship is beautiful, and it's what most of the New Testament is made up of, and it's what God calls us to. We're not meant to live as lone rangers for Jesus but in a body. And this is the body of Christ. So baptism is an expression, public expression of your commitment to Christ and to His church. So some questions here. Have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you been baptized as a believer? If you haven't, let's talk about it. Next Sunday, we're going to have a big tank of water right here and I would love to baptize you. Third thing, going, baptizing, and lastly, teaching. Jesus said, 
Go therefore, make disciples by going, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So this is discipleship in relationship. Teaching to observe. That's not standing behind a podium and giving a message. That's not the same teaching. It's part of it. But teaching to observe is more life on life kind of teaching. We say around here that real discipleship happens in real relationship. We firmly believe that that's what God intends for us to know each other in real ways where we can push each other. Where we can challenge and lovingly uh, rebuke one another and call each other to to walk out our faith. So teaching doesn't just happen here on a Sunday. In fact, you need way more than just a Sunday sermon. Way more than just a Sunday sermon. Think about it. If you only ate once on Sunday, how healthy would your body be? Your spirit is much more important. That's the whole point of our fasting and praying is just to... Next week we begin 21 days of fasting is to deprive our bodies and and really push into the spirit to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to deny myself what I think I need and I'm going to lean into what I know I need. Remember, your life is a vapor. So I started this message calling you to a sense of urgency by reminding you that time is short. Time is short. So make it count. So I want to give you the three things right here at the end that Jesus gave in the beginning part of this passage. He says this. Don't fear. Don't fear. We've been talking a lot about anxiety and fear. I want to teach you um, an Aramaic word, a Greek word that's used in the Bible only one time. Y'all ready to say it? We need to wake up. Y'all ready? Here it is. I'm going to say it and you say it back. Maranatha. Ready? Yeah, it's kind of like marinade, but it's not. Ready? Try it again. Maranatha. Here's what that word means. Our king is coming. Maranatha. Our king is coming. We have a king. And he's coming. I love it. Thank you. That's great. We have a king and he is coming. Time is short. Make it count. The scriptures describe the second coming of Christ like a thief in the night. If I told you, if I told you somebody's coming to your house tonight to rob you, what do you do? Well, there's probably lots of things you might do. Some of us might get a gun. Somebody just lock the door and get out. Who knows? A lot of different things. But one thing I could promise you is everybody in here is going to what? Get prepared. If I told you there's a thief coming tonight, the Bible says he's coming. And he's coming like a thief in the night. So here's what I'm saying. Your time is short. Make it count. Jesus gives us three quick things. Here they are. Don't fear. And I want to point out two ways that Jesus combats our fear in the Scriptures. One, He says, seek first the kingdom. Don't fear. Matthew 6.33, He talks about anxiety and fear the whole chapter almost. And then He says this. Instead, 
Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. When the angels showed up to Mary and Mary, they said, Don't fear. We know that you seek Jesus. Don't fear. Seek first the kingdom. First. First. The kingdom. The second thing the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Don't fear. He says it this way. Don't be anxious. But in everything, pray. Pray. The Christian journey is wrapped in a healthy dialogue with God. How is your prayer life? You, personally. Do you pray? My guess is, it needs improvement. So beginning next Sunday... I'm calling you to get serious about prayer. Pull away from fear and win that battle on your knees. Let's pray. Let's disconnect from the world and let's connect with God. The second thing Jesus says in this passage about kingdom people. You're going to be a kingdom person? Don't fear. Secondly, go quickly. Go quickly. What's God calling you to do? Stop hesitating. Let's do it. What's God saying? Okay, let's do it. What's he called you to do? All right, do it. Go quickly. I can't get away from the urgency built into this text twice. The angel says, go quickly. And when Jesus comes, he says, go, go quickly. Go quick, go quickly. So I'm telling you this. Don't be stagnant. Don't be like a pond growing algae. Instead, be like a river that's on the move. Go quickly. Third thing, tell others. Tell others. We need to be inviting people. I'm not just talking about inviting people to church. I'm talking about inviting them to know Jesus. Evangelism. Sow gospel seeds and trust God with the harvest. Sow the gospel. Speak it. Tell somebody the gospel. When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you shared the gospel? It's the best news in the world. We're to be a telling people, a good news people. When's the last time you told the gospel? If you're like me, sometimes I get in a place where I'm like, well, you know what? If if, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm reading my Bible and somebody walks over and asks me, you know, hey, I see you're reading your Bible. Think you could tell me how to know Jesus. Well, you know, if that happens, I'll, yeah, I think I'll step into that. <laughs> I don't know if you get at that place where you're just looking for the right moment, the right opportunity, the right. And I'm telling you, it's not how it goes. Usually. We cannot leave telling people about Jesus up to chance. We have to build our lives around it. Tell others the gospel. Invite them to Jesus and invest in them with the gospel. Commit to one another. Be devoted to discipleship. Um, so we're trying to create a pathway and we'll try to sum this up quickly. I know our time is short. Um, 
We're trying to create a pathway for people to grow in their discipleship. You guys, come on. Uh, so here's, here's the strategy. I would love for every person who calls Mountain View Church home to connect in a life group. Life groups where we get to know each other. We just hang out. We have a meal together. We, we get to know each other. That's really the main purpose of life group is just to build relationship. It's not a Bible study. It's, there's no pressure. It's just, hey, I'm Justin. Who are you? Okay, let's eat. I mean, it's very simple. It's relationship. We pray. We, it's, it's very simple. Get to know each other. Hang out. Get to know our kids. That sort of thing. Life. Life on life. We've, we've sort of built these to where they happen twice a month. So every other week, you just meet in somebody's house and you gather with a little group of people. And it's not a forever commitment. You just you know, do that for six, seven months or so. And then maybe jump into another one or start one in your home. But we want people to know each other. Why? Because real discipleship happens in real relationship. So that's life group. The second thing, once you're ready to go a little deeper, we're trying to start some D groups. Now this is different. This is where three to five men gather and three to five women gather, gender-specific groups. And we get together for about an hour every week. And we're studying through the Bible together. We're talking about life in a way that I'm pushing you and you're pushing me. And we're trying to grow in our faithfulness and our walk with Jesus. We're, we're committed to discipleship in that way. That's why it's called a D group. It's a discipleship group. All right? That's... A next step, okay? And then a third layer is leadership development. What I'm wanting to do is develop you in your gifting. This last month, we put that whole idea on display by guys who have a calling and a passion to preach. Preach three weeks of this month. The point there is we're trying to equip men and women to do what God's made you to do, whatever that is. Whatever your skill set is, you have a place in the body. And we want to develop you as a leader to lead and to serve Christ as your king. That's our strategy. It's pretty simple. All right, so here's some action steps for today. Y'all go ahead and begin playing, if you will. Some action steps for today. One, maybe you need to give your life to Christ. Don't wait, time is short. Don't wait. None of us are promised tomorrow. Don't wait another minute to surrender to Jesus. When we sing in just a minute, come come talk to me or maybe write that on a card. Just let us know that you, you want to surrender to Christ. Write that. I need to surrender to Jesus. I'm going to call you. We're going to get together this week because time is short and it can't wait. Second thing, maybe you're a Christian, but you've never been baptized. Or maybe you were baptized as a baby, but now it's your faith. We believe in believer's baptism, which is what's modeled in the New Testament, that when someone trusts in Christ, their first personal act of obedience is to be baptized. We're baptizing next week. Let's talk about it. I want you to tell me, hey, Justin, I need to get baptized. Okay, let's talk about it. That's awesome. Tell me about your relationship with Christ. And we will get you wet next week, I promise. All right, the third thing. Maybe you're a believer, but you are far from God today. You know it. 
There's lots of things that take priority over him. And when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, you're like, wow, first? Because there's like 10 things that are way more important right now. And what he's saying is today, repent. Repent. Disconnect from the world. Reconnect with God. Don't wait. Time is short. Make it count. Repent of your sin today. Find that Jesus is ready to forgive you, to welcome you back, and to set you on a path to live your life on purpose.